Well, today we have our second sermon on a two-week series on marriage. Last week we talked about husbands. This week we're talking about wives, and I want to just sort of jump right in and explain to you what the Bible has to say to wives, but I felt with sort of equal opportunity. I started last week with a couple of jokes before we talked about husbands, and I thought, well, I probably need to start this week with a marriage joke. So here it is, for better or for worse. Um, there was a groom the night of the wedding rehearsal. He finds the pastor and he pulls him aside at the rehearsal dinner and he slips him $100. And he says to him, tomorrow, during the ceremony, when you get to the part where you're going to ask me to vow to love, to honor, to sacrifice, and to be faithful, if you could just leave that part out, I'd appreciate that. (laughs) So he gives him the $100 and the groom feels satisfied that he's taken care of everything and The next day, the ceremony arrives, and right when they get to the point of the vows, the husband turns, sorry, the pastor turns to the husband, looks him straight in the eyes, and says, do you promise to prostrate yourself before your wife daily, to serve her every need, to give her breakfast and bread every morning, and to never, ever, ever look at another woman? Well, the groom's stuck. Everybody's watching and listening, and so... He quietly and humbly says, yes. And then he leans over to the pastor and he hisses, I thought we had a deal. The pastor hands him back the $100 and says, she made me a better offer. (laughs) Okay, now on to the serious stuff. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, it's page 829 in the Bibles that the church provides. Last week, we looked at the role of husbands in marriage. And husbands, God was very clear. What he asks of us, what he demands of us, is not that we compromise with our wives, but that we sacrifice for them. Give ourselves up for our wives. It will transform them. It will bless us. And it will proclaim God's love to this world. This week, we're going to look at what God has to say to wives. And we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm not a wife. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what this text means. And specifically, there are four words in the passage we're going to read that we really need to understand. And then I've asked three wives from our congregation if they will come and join me at the end of that and share their own personal experiences with what this passage is saying so you can hear from them how it is that they're trying to live this out. So look with me, if you will, in Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24, and also I will read verse 33. And listen as I read, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And jump down to verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now to understand what God is saying to wives today, 
there are four words we really need to focus on and understand. The first word comes in verse 22 and in verse 24, and it's the word submit. What does it mean when God says, wives, submit to your husbands? Well, the first thing to notice is that Paul doesn't use the word obey. He knows the word obey. He'll use it in just a minute when he talks about children relating to parents and when he talks about slaves and masters. In those contexts, Paul very clearly says, children obey parents, slaves obey your masters. But in the relationship of husbands and wives, Paul consciously chooses not to use the word obey. Instead, he uses the word submit. Now, a few weeks ago, when we looked at verse 21 of chapter 5, I used this graphic to try to explain the difference between the words obey and submit. Now, there is some overlap between the two concepts. But on one hand, obey really has to do with doing what you're told to do. It's the response to a specific commandment or request. You respond by obeying. The word submit is a different word. Submit has much more to do with the relationship. It has to do with acknowledging the authority of another and following their leadership. It's set in the context of a relationship, not a set of orders or a set of commands or instructions. And when Paul talks to wives, he says to them, what God is asking you to do is to submit to your husbands, follow their leadership and acknowledge the authority that God has given to them. It's also worth noting that every single passage in the New Testament, every single one of them that addresses the relationship of wives to husbands uses this word. Every passage. There are no passages that don't use this word. This is the central idea as God talks about a wife's relationship to her husband. It is the concept of submitting. And although we are told to submit to one another in church, there, is, there are no passages in the Bible that use the word submit of a husband's relationship to his wife. In other words, it's never reversed. So it's always wives submit to husbands, and there is no text addressing marriage in the New Testament that says husbands submit to wives. But the way God has laid this out is that this is what he's talking about. Now I want you to also notice in verse 22, the subject of the verb submit is wives. What that means, wives, is that God is directly addressing you here. There is no passage in the Bible that tells husbands to make their wives submit. This is not something husbands are involved in. God is addressing you wives directly. You're not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. God has not given the message for you to husbands to tell you. This is something he's saying directly to you. And the concept of submission is between a wife and God. Jesus is 
Lord. Your husband is not your Lord. It's Jesus who's asking you to do this. This is why it says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And this is a personal, individual decision, wives, that you make, not between you and your husband, but between you and God. And if you refuse to listen to what this passage is saying, it's not your husband that you're refusing. It's God. He's addressed you particularly, wives, and asking you, will you please do this for me? Well, that's the first word. It is the word submit. God is asking wives to submit to their husbands, which means to acknowledge the husband's authority and to follow his leadership. The second word that we need to understand if we're going to grasp what God is saying in this passage comes in verse 23. See, the justification for why wives are to submit to their husbands is because the husband is the head of the wife. That's that second word, the word head. Now, what does God mean when he says the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church? Well, notice he doesn't say the husband is the Lord of the wife as Christ is the Lord of the church. Jesus is the Lord of the church, but he's also the head of the church. And those are two distinct things. You say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between Lord and head? You see, Jesus is both for the church, but the husband only picks up the role of being head. He's not ever said to be the Lord of his wife in the way that Christ is Lord of the church. So what's the difference between being Lord and being head? Well, let me give you an analogy that might help. Imagine a women's basketball team. On that women's basketball team, there is a coach and a captain. The coach of the team, she's the one who's responsible for determining playing time. She's the one responsible for organizing who's going to be on the team, any sorts of uh, training that they're going to do, rewards or disciplinary action. She essentially has the authority for what happens on the team. That's her role as coach. But there also is a captain on the team. And the captain is one of the players. And she is the person that the coach may have designated as being a leader among equals. That as captain... Her job is to be the first one out on the court. She's the one who's supposed to work the hardest to lead by example. She might be the one who leads the stretching exercises or the training or the drills or the weight room or whatever might be going on. There are times when the coach may address the whole team and say, here's what I want to see happen. There may be other times that the coach simply pulls the captain aside and says, this is where I want to see this team going. Well, in that analogy of coach and captain. Coach goes with Lord. Captain goes with head. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the coach of the church. But he's also the captain, which means he commands us and we must obey. But he also leads by example and we're supposed to follow. When it comes to husbands, God is not saying that the husband is the coach And the captain of the wife. In the marriage relationship, God is the coach. 
He's the one that has all of the authority. He's the one that makes all of the rules. He's the one that sets the agenda. But under his authority, he has appointed a captain for the marriage team. And that captain is the husband. And the husband is supposed to lead by example. That's why we talked about husbands first last week. That husbands are supposed to sacrifice themselves for their wives first. And that what a husband is supposed to do is in his wife's best interest. Just like the captain is not captain of the basketball team so she can get all of the glory. She's captain so she can help make the team better. And the husband has been assigned the role of being the team captain. So that he might help his wife become the woman that God wants her to be. So wives, what this means is, is that there may come times at which you are at an impasse with your husband. Suppose he says to you, I think that our schedules are too busy. We got too many things on our plate that we're trying to do. There's too many activities. And wives, you may disagree strongly with that. You may think, no, we not only need all this stuff, we need more stuff. And the two of you are not able to resolve it. Well, wives, you have every right and you should express to your husband your opinion about why the schedule is the way that it is. You have every right and you should sit down and pray with your husband about for God's guidance in this area. But at the end of the day, if your husband is not asking you to sin, this passage is saying, let him be the leader. And as leader, then you should try to reduce the number of activities in your schedule. This is what it means when it says that the husband is the head of the wife. It doesn't mean that the husband orders the wife around. It means that the husband is designated as the leader. And that it's his job to try to lead this team where the coach wants it to go. Third word we need to get our minds around. It's in verse number 24. says at the end of that phrase, wives should submit to their husbands in, and here's our word, everything. Everything. Now in order to understand what is meant by this, I'd rather tell you not what it means, but what it doesn't mean. <clears throat> when God says, wives, you are to submit to your husbands in everything, it does not mean in areas of sin. Wives, you are never, ever, ever to follow your husband's leadership into sin. If he's asking you to participate in something that is unethical or fraudulent when it comes to money, if he's asking you to participate in illicit sexual activity, if he asks you to turn a blind eye to verbal or emotional abuse, emotional abuse or physical abuse, that you or your children are suffering at his hands, you are never to do that. That is not what is intended here. When God speaks about submission, he never asks a wife to follow her husband's leadership into behavior that is against God. The Bible is very clear. We are never to obey humans over and against God. So when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands and everything, he doesn't mean follow them into sinful behavior. He also doesn't mean when he says in everything, that the wife is never in charge of anything. 
that everything doesn't have the idea that the husband makes all decisions, that he runs everything, that he's in charge of everything. That's not what this means. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the same author Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, and to manage their homes. And the idea there is that the wife's in charge. She's running the household. There are decisions that need to be made for that household. And the sense here is that the wife is the one making them. It's not that the husband micromanages everything and every decision has to be run through him. The idea is that the husband provides general leadership, but that the wife's in charge of managing the household. Let me give you an example. When Lisa and I were first married, we had two slightly different conceptions about monetary budgets. I come from a family that's a a saving sort of family, and so when I see a monetary budget and there's a line item that says, this is how much money is allotted for going out to eat, I think to myself, well, that's the maximum you would ever spend. And the goal is to be as far beneath that number as possible, so that at the end of the month, you've got money you can save. Lisa's approach when we were first married was that number was sort of a target. Sometimes you might be above it, sometimes you might be below it, but hopefully over time it'll sort of all average out. Now this led to a few conflicts early on in our marriage because we would get to the end of the month and say there might be $10 left in the going out to eat category. I would think, woohoo, we got $10 left in going out to eat, let's save that money. Lisa would think, woohoo, we got $10 left in the going out to eat category, let's go out to eat and celebrate. Over time, God began to impress upon me that what I needed to do for my wife was sacrifice my desire to control the finances. I like doing it. I like being in charge of the budget. But Ephesians 5 tells me I'm supposed to give up what I want for what's in her best interest. And it was in her best interest that she might learn fiscal responsibility, that she might be able to manage this area. And so as the spiritual, as the leader, I said, this is something you ought to be in charge of. And for the last 10 or 12 years of our marriage, she's run all the finances for our marriage. She's in charge of them. Now, what that means is that if I come to her and say, hey, let's go out on a, let's go out on a date to the movies. She says, there's no money to do that. I don't get to say, well, find some somewhere. <laughs> she's in charge. That's what Paul means when he says, A wife is managing things. When he says submit in everything, it doesn't mean the husband makes all decisions. Please don't hear that. What it means is that the husband provides general leadership. But there are many areas that the wife is in charge of. Another example. God says in this passage that I'm the spiritual leader for our home. However, Lisa has gifts and abilities that I don't have. She has a spiritual gift of administration. And so while I'm often the one who is teaching our children about spiritual things, or I'm often the one explaining things to our children, when it comes time to planning devotional time, or memorizing scripture, or having kids involved in activities at church, or getting the small group readings done for our small group, Lisa's in charge of those things. She's the one who organizes and coordinates and makes all of it happen, and my job is to participate. My job is to be there and to help out. 
But at the end of the day, this is how God has gifted her. And so when Paul says wives submit in everything, it doesn't mean that husbands do everything, run everything, make all decisions. It means that the husband provides general leadership and that the wife's job is to acknowledge that authority and that leadership and to submit to it. Okay, fourth word. Verse 33. End of the verse, the wife must respect her husband. That's the fourth word. We've looked at submit, head, everything, and now this fourth word, respect. And what God is trying to get at here is that there is a form of outward submission, and then there is the attitude of your heart. And wives, what God's addressing here is is that it's possible to submit outwardly, but to despise your husband in your heart. That's not what God is talking about. That's not what is pleasing to him. It's possible that if your husband comes to you and says, we need to sell this bigger house and downsize to something smaller, something more manageable, something that we can afford better in our monthly budget. If you simply outwardly say, well, I'm supposed to submit to your leadership, so okay, we'll do it. But then when you get together with your female friends, you talk about what a fool your husband is or how if he just made more money, this wouldn't be an issue or run him down. God's not pleased with that. When he says, wives, respect your husbands, it's an acknowledgement that husbands need encouragement. They need affirmation. They need support in their role of being leader. Being team captain is tough. It's difficult. And if people are working against a husband's leadership, if a wife is working against a husband's leadership, it just makes everybody miserable. And so Paul says, look, wives, it's not enough simply to go with external submission. It's really an attitude of the heart. Not looking at your husband and saying, he deserves this. But looking at your husband and saying, I want to support him and encourage him in this. That's part of the motive behind the assignment for you last week, wives. When I asked the husbands to go home and ask you how they had sacrificed your job was to share gently and kindly ways in which your husband has sacrificed for you. Hopefully you saw that when you did that, you were providing affirmation and encouragement. You were supporting your husband. You were doing this verse. You were respecting him. And hopefully you could see the blessings of God as you did that. So God says, look, if you understand what it means to submit, if you understand what I mean by the concept of head, if you understand what he means by everything and respect, then wives, you will understand what it is that God is asking you to do. And so if I can, I'd like to put this in sort of a summary statement of what it is that Paul is saying in this passage. Wives, You are to acknowledge the authority God has given to your husbands and follow their leadership. As your husband sacrificially loves you, you are to turn around and do the same for him. In every area of life, follow his leadership for the sake of Jesus. Encourage, affirm, and support him as he tries to fulfill the God-given responsibility of leading you in love. And do this not just in outward actions, but in inward attitude.
Now, I said at the beginning of the sermon, it's fine for me to stand up here and try to explain this passage of Scripture. But in order to really grasp conceptually what God means, you've got to see this lived out in real life. And so I've asked three wives from our congregation if they'll come and join me here on our platform and share a little bit about what this concept of submission means to them. So first we have Lisa Morgan, and Lisa was married for a number of years to Dan, uh, and Dan, uh, the Lord took Dan home uh, a few years ago. She has since remarried uh, three years ago to Laren, and uh, Lisa has uh, some, I think, some great insights on what it means to think about submission in the context of a blended family, uh, to think about submission in her context. So Lisa, what does it look like uh, in your marriage situation uh, for you to follow what God is saying in this passage? Well, last week when you talked about the sacrificial love, I thought of Laren immediately. Um, when <clears throat> Dan died six years ago, my late husband, I was left with two small special needs children. Um, and people told me that finding someone was not going to be easy. You know, it was, bless her heart, she's never going to find anybody. Mm-hmm. And, but I had just come through two years of watching God's miracles um, with Dan. And so I knew all things were possible. Um, at the time I um, married Laren, he was close to retirement. His children were grown out of the house. He was kind of almost home free. And he, um, through what I can only call the Holy Spirit, came to live with us and take uh, We got married. And, and <laughs> <laughs> that sounded bad. <laughs> and, um, and what I consider sacrificed his life um, to to take care of us. And that's just how Laren is. It's in little things, it's in large things. My needs and wants and desires always come first with him. And what I didn't know when we got married is I was on the brink of a year and a half of tremendous physical, um, I don't know what you call it, um, illnesses. I had three major surgeries, two diagnoses. So not only did Laren have to step up and be this full-time father and two small children, uh, then it wasn't every other weekend. It was, you know, all the time. Plus, he was doing a lot of the things that I would normally do. So he, he just is a very sacrificially loving husband. So then I thought, what does it take to become a submissive wife to a husband like that? And I really found it easy in the same way that um, <clears throat> we, look for, we look to God and we get, our, we get blessing from obeying him. I found that... Um, I was getting blessing from being a submissive wife to Laren. And the same way that because he was obeying God and being sacrificial for me, I want to be submissive so that he gets the blessings for that. So that part of it came easy for me. But then it, when it comes to blending families, things get a little tricky because I had my children. And I, and I knew going into that that I, over the years, had seen marriages fail because the women were so intent on protecting what they would say, protecting their children or their rights, that they were doing it to the detriment of their um, children and their marriage. So I decided to make this conscious effort that I needed to point to Laren as the head of the family because I had two little heads always looking to me. I had to just um, point them to Laren because it didn't come naturally. I was the head of the family. When you're a single mom, you have to make all the decisions. You have to be the head of the home. But when you um, have the man come in, then he was the head of the family. So that was a challenging area. And I do not always agree with Laren. He's pretty tough on the kids, as most men are, I guess. But um, And there are times when I disagree and just think, you know, they'll be fine. They'll, you know, he always says builds character. So <laughs> they're hoping it builds character. But um, 
there are times when I just feel like I have to say that I feel like this is wrong. And in those times, um, I try to get Laren out. You know, I don't say in the bedroom, mister, but, you know, like behind the kids' back, like, can I talk to you a minute? And he lets me plead my case, and he always listens, and he listens to my reasons, and we go over the reasons why I think things should change. And sometimes he says, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to stick with this. And then, okay, we stick with that. And sometimes he says, you know, I can see where maybe we should do things a little bit differently. And when we come back in a situation like that, it is still presented that daddy has changed his mind. It isn't mommy talked him into that, thank me. You know, it's daddy changed his mind and we're going to do things differently. An example, you had asked me to give an example, and one of it was our first uh, 4th of July. 4th of July was a big deal. We did the parade. We did, and, and by nighttime, the kids were getting tired, and my youngest son started to have a meltdown. And we were getting ready to go to the fireworks. We were going to meet friends there. It was going to be, you know, a big deal with the sparklers and everything. And Laren says, uh, get your pajamas on. You're going to bed. Well, I realized this was going to completely change the evening. One adult now had to stay home with him. Uh, our friends were not going to have their people with them. My daughter wasn't going to have anyone to do sparklers with. And so I met Laren outside with just crying, saying, you know, this just isn't fair. I don't think this is fair. And here are my reasons why. And after he listened to me, he said, you're right. Um, let's, this was a little severe. And so he says, how about if he puts his pajamas on and he goes and he watches the fireworks but does not get to participate so that we could all go as a family. Mm -hmm. So that's an example that's of the great. way it is. So um, I just encourage mothers of blended family homes, whether it is death or divorce, that in the home, that is the head of the home, and you need to point to him. Right. Thank you, Lisa. Patty McGinnis has been uh, our women's pastor here. She was our women's pastor here for many years. She's been married for 45 years. Uh, and if you knew her husband, you would know why we have her up here to share. Uh, no, we love Dave. Uh, Patty, tell us, uh, in 45 years, what have you learned about uh, marriage and about submission and how this all works in your context? Well, it certainly looks a little different in my life, uh, Lisa. I am married to David. He's a very strong man, and he married a strong woman. But after 45 years of marriage, it has taken on, of course, many different faces. And as I enter another decade of my life, I just realize that I wish I had the wisdom then that I have now. I was 24 when David and I were married. We both grew up during the predictable times in life, and we were both raised with traditional Christian values. However, at age 26, a whole new world opened up to me when I learned to trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And that was a huge change for me. Um, we were in the process of moving to Dallas, Texas at that time, and that became a good place for us because we really learned the Bible and we learned about God's ways. There were many conferences on marriage at that time, and I wanted to go to all of them. David was not quite as eager to attend all of those, but agreed to attend a couple with me. But we did learn at those seminars the established, uh, God's established order for the home and the role of men and women. Now, in my zealousness for our marriage relationship, I did a really good job of becoming David's Holy Spirit. <laughs> It took, it took a long time for David to graduate from Sensitivity 101, and it took me a long time to graduate from Respect 101. But it didn't take us long to realize that life was not all about him and life was not all about me, but it was about both of us working together with Christ as our leader. 
Through our married years, we had the normal ups and downs and about gender differences, I might add. But however, it was during some of these difficult times that I learned submission, respecting the fact that we each had different perspectives on issues. We learned how to um, live under the law of love. We learned how to have a good fight and to fight fair. I remember one argument that we had. We had really been pushing each other's hot buttons. And David looked at me and he says, I want my rib back. And I said, no. <laughs> and obviously, obviously that laughter um, broke the argument. And even though we don't agree on everything, we have learned the, um, uh, to understand submission and to honor perspectives. For a number of years, David traveled, and I found myself making decisions while he was gone. And then on the weekends, it was a tremendous change for him to come back into the home. But then I realized that I really needed to include him on the opinions of our home and in making the decisions and involving him. Um, we also went through the era of the women's liberation movement. I don't, some of you will know that and some not. But it was a confusing time both in the world but in the church as well. Uh, part of that movement devalued women in the home and advocated for equality with men and women's rights. It affected the self-esteem of women, and it did me. And one of the most significant things for me was that David became uh, such an encouragement to me and validated my role in the home as a wife and a mother. Well, I continue to be a student of our marriage, and one of the pastors uh, told me about this wonderful book to read. So on a road trip with David, I decided I would take this book with us. It was called His Needs and Her Needs, and I, uh, to discuss and, and to read to him. And as I was reading, he said, I'd like to see that book. And so I handed it to him. He rolled down the window at 80 miles an hour and threw it out. <laughs> But the real picture for me on submission <laughs> is that in all matters of life, it's important that we work together, but it's important that I honor him as the leader of our home and to respect God's order for the home. And out of reverence for Christ, we have learned to put one another first. Patty, thank you very much. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how Dave got away with that. That's great. <laughs> he gets away with a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, this is my wife, Lisa, and I thought, I can't preach on this unless she gets to have uh, her say as to what she would like to say. So whatever you want to say, baby, uh, floor is yours. So. All right. <laughs> uh, Jim and I have been married for 14 years, and I can uh, have to honestly say that the area of submission is still one that I struggle with. And the reason that it's a struggle is because I'm a sinner who happens to be married to a sinner. Now, I think he's a very handsome sinner, and I'm so glad that he's my sinner. <laughs> But um, that causes a lot of conflict in our marriage. Um, you know, we are very different people. We have different ideas about how things should work. We have different opinions. We have different likes and dislikes. And so the goal of marriage is not just to make us into the same person. It's to become the individual people that God has um, gifted us to be with our own abilities and talents. But we have differences, and those differences are where there are conflict. And so we have, when we have conflict and we come... We, have, we discuss it, and we pray about it, and we talk about it, and we come to the end of the, the line, and there's a decision that has to be made. Um, I realize that it's my uh, responsibility out of um, love for the Lord to submit to Jim in those areas. 
And um, I believe that even if Jim makes the wrong decision, that God will bless me, that he'll bless that decision in a way that he wouldn't have if I hadn't had that attitude. On a really practical level for me, when we make those kinds of decisions, it could be really easy for me, for instance, when it came to something like the budget that Jim talked about earlier, for us to agree, okay, this is what we're going to spend in each category each month, and then to just kind of do whatever I want and not fill him in on the details. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be submission. I mean, I may be saying it with you know, my words, but then to not follow through or to not follow through with decisions we've made about disciplining our children or what our schedule will look like, that's very much an attitude of the heart. Now, some of you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, if I was married to Jim, it'd be so much easier. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that's a lie from Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a trap that I see women fall into all the time because you just substitute the, the phrase that you feel like you need. If only I was married to someone that was kinder. If only I was married to someone that was more decisive. If only I was married to, to someone that understood my opinion on this. You know, the problem is, is that um, the reason Satan uses that in women's life is because it no longer becomes about me and maybe changes that God's looking for me to make, because it's all about him. If he could just get his stuff worked out, then there wouldn't be any problems. And that's not how it works. You know, um, your husband is the gift that God has given you, and there's things that he wants you to learn, and there's um, things that you need to, ways you need to change, and this is one of the ways that God accomplishes them. In essence, it just comes down to a heart issue. In our marriage, we both get to reflect Jesus to each other. Jim reflects Jesus to me when he sacrificially loves me, as Jesus did when he came to earth and sacrificed his life for us. And I get to reflect Jesus to Jim when I'm willing to submit myself to his authority, just like Philippians 4 tells us that Jesus did when he submitted to the Father. And as we do that, we're able to reflect Jesus to each other. We're able to reflect him to our children and hopefully to the community in which we live. Wow, that was great. <laughs> Part of the reason why I asked uh, for three different wives to come up here is because the Bible has the general principle spelled out, but there are no passages in the Bible that say a husband always does this, a husband is always in charge of that, the wife always acts this way. And what you find is, is that it's the Holy Spirit who guides you in different situations. And in Lisa's situation, uh, in a blended family, the Holy Spirit is guiding with her personality and Laren's personality. With Patty and David, over 45 years of marriage, God has guided and led in different ways. With Lisa and myself, same thing. And I want you to understand uh, that the way the Spirit works is that it's different in every situation. It follows the same general principles that the husband has been assigned by God to the responsibility of leading. But how that works itself out in day-to-day -day decisions, that's something that the Spirit leads you and guides you. And here are just three different ways in which that happens. And so, ladies, thank you very much for coming up here and being willing to do this. Okay, time for your assignments. Last week, I gave out assignments to husbands and wives and to those who are here who weren't married but were open to that possibility. I'd like to do the same thing this week. Wives, you're first. Your assignment to do, Lord willing, today, or hopefully as soon as possible, is to ask your husband, in what ways 
Have I been submissive to your leadership and supportive of you? Go home and ask him, how have you lived this passage out? Ask your husband, how have I submitted to you and to your leadership in our marriage? Husbands, your assignment, similar to the one I gave to your wife last week. When your wife asks you that question, be prepared to give a thorough, detailed, gentle, kind response. I am sure that you would not be where you are today if it wasn't for your wife. I am sure there are a number of things that she has agreed to follow you, follow your leadership, to be a blessing to you. Think about those and share those with her. The idea is is that the scriptures do not say that husbands, we are supposed to teach our wives to submit or make them submit or talk them into submitting. That's between them and the Lord. Our job as husbands is to encourage them in the ways that they have been obeying God. And so husbands, when your wife asks you that question, would you please gently and kindly share with her all the different ways that you can think of that she has supported you and submitted to your leadership? If you're here and you are not married but open to the possibility, the assignment for you is to go home, women, and think about Is this who you want to be? Is this what you are striving to be? If you think about marriage as a way to get somebody that you can marry who can give you everything that you want and you get to do whatever you want in life, that's not a a formula for success in marriage. God says to you women that you have the opportunity to follow in the example of Jesus and submit yourself to another just as he submitted himself to the Father. If that's your desire, then God is preparing you for marriage. And men, the assignment for you, if you're not married but open to the possibility, is for you to ask yourself the question, is this what I'm looking for in a woman? The world tells you you want to look for outward beauty. God says you want to look for inward beauty. And perhaps the most inwardly beautiful thing about a woman is a woman who has a humble heart. A woman who is willing to acknowledge the leadership of her parents, of her employer, of her church, And when you find a woman whose heart is willing to follow others for the sake of Jesus, you have found yourself a wonderful, an amazing woman. And so I'd encourage you men, uh, look for the right thing. And then finally, if you're here and you are married and your husband is not a Christian or not walking with the Lord, you need to understand that Ephesians 5 was not written to address your situation. This is written to address a situation where you have a Christian husband who is at least trying to be somewhat sacrificial. The passage that is for you is 1 Peter chapter 3. We didn't have time to go through that this morning, so what I did is on Thursday I made a video. And I recorded, uh, I think it's about six minutes, trying to talk through that passage and show how God is addressing your specific situation. And so if you're in that situation, in your notes today there is a website. Uh, And on that website, you can go to that website and watch that video, and that will give you a little bit more uh, about what God has to say in your situation if your husband is not a Christian or not walking with the Lord. Ephesians 5, simply not addressing that situation. Well, God has refused to allow marriage to be given over to Satan and to this world. He wants to redeem marriage and rescue it and make it again the blessing it is designed to be. 
And he is very clear that husbands, if we will sacrifice for our wives and wives, if you will submit to your husbands, that in this mutual love for one another, the blessing of God will become evident. So my encouragement to all of us is to fight to have the kinds of marriages and the kinds of families and the kind of church in which those attitudes are prevalent. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your clear instruction. We do admit, Lord, that when we think about the word submission, the world has made that an evil word. But Lord, we pray that through your word, you would win that back. That you would help us to understand what submission means. Lord, I pray for those marriages in which the husband has become overbearing, lording it over his wife. God, I pray that in that situation, your light of grace would show that this is not your design for marriage. That the wife is to be uh, allowed her freedom, to be allowed to be in charge, to be allowed to make decisions. And God, I pray that your word would convict of changes that need to happen there. Father, I pray for those marriages in which the wife is refusing to follow the leadership of her husband, that she is cutting him down and mad-mouthing him. Lord, I pray that this message would convict her. Lord, that she would see the examples of wives and others who are willing to obey your word and that she would follow that. Lord, I pray for any who are here today who have lost a spouse and for whom the idea of uh, these instructions about marriage has been painful. Would you be close to them in a special way? May they listen to Lisa Morgan's testimony about how your faithfulness in the midst of the death of a spouse and your graciousness, uh, Lord God, to her, that that would be an encouragement to them. Father, I pray for each person as we go home today to do our assignments, that we would do it in the spirit of grace and of love, and that you would use this as an opportunity to strengthen the marriages and the families that you have in this place. We love you, Lord, and we're glad that you are close to us, guiding us and directing us in all areas of life. Amen.